I'm going to say that again. Good morning, church. Let us pray. Everlasting Father, we thank you for the opportunity, for the blessings of this day. Thank you for your grace that gave us confidence to be at your presence today. We pray that you teach us, that you open our eyes of understanding, that you speak to our heart to know you more and to appreciate what your son, what you did through your son, what your son did for us on the cross. We pray that you guide our thoughts and you guide our minds. We pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, this morning I will be sharing um, a few thoughts of mine from the topic of the Jesus Christ our perfect sacrifice. It's all about Jesus Christ for us. And um, Notebook Bible Chapel is um, a church that believes so much in the Bible. Bible is everything we've got. <laughs> so, and we'll be doing a lot of digging in the Bible, a lot of reading in the Bible as well. So um, I'm going to say thank you for the opportunity to stand here. Um, I'm just Tolu. And um, I appreciate um, the leadership of this church for giving me this moment to share a few thoughts of mine to the people of God this morning. So, and um, Jesus Christ our perfect sacrifice. I would like to look at this topic from the lens of two attributes of God. The first one is God is holy. How many of us believe that? And the second one is God is love. So, God is holy. What does that even mean? According to um, A.W. Tozer, is a famous American preacher. He's been dead a long time ago. And... Um, is an author of many books. He said, holy is the way God is. To be holy, it doesn't conform to a standard. He is the standard. And I had a deep thought about that. He is the standard. 
God is holy. God is the ultimate source and standard of goodness. And this is foundational even to our beliefs as Christians or believers. It also implies that moral values are grounded in the nature of God himself. And therefore, God's laws and actions are inherently good. But there is more to it. God is holy. So many stories in the Bible made me believe that his holiness can be very attractive and at the same time can be very dangerous. The duality of God's comforting presence and the potential threat posed to those living unholy lives is a common theme in the Bible, if you will agree with me. In um, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 5, Isaiah saw the throne after something happened when Uzziah died. And this is the particular verse that made me want to know more about King Uzziah. It was marvelously, it was marvelously helped. But it didn't end well. Pride had its way along the line with him, and um, it didn't end well. But when he died, Isaiah put it up there, that I saw, the year he died, I saw the Lord. And i okay, what did you see about the Lord? He said, he was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, this is Isaiah talking, it is all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have, I have filled the lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king the Lord of heaven's armies, the one of the seraphim, flee, sorry, the one of the seraphim flew to, it, to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongues. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. We need to see how the reaction of Isaiah when this was revealed to him. It's over. Like, I'm not worthy. He expressed 
the default nature of human when he got that revelation. I'm a sinful man. I don't even have what it takes. It's all over. I'm doomed. And that passage gave me an insight that as human, we need divine intervention from God to come, to, to, you know, to meet the standard of God. By default, we are sinners. Isaiah just confirmed that to us. Um, there are so many biblical illustrations which I believe are there to help us understand God's holiness and the demand for its reverence and obedience, especially from those who seek to live in harmony with him. God is holy. Um, if we can open our Bible to Revelation 4, and by the way, um, my references are from New Living Translation. So, Revelation 4. Revelation 4 gives us a snippet of what worship in heaven is going to look like. And it's amazing that God is referred to as holy. It says, Then, as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I heard, I had heard before, spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly, I was in the spirit. This is John writing. And I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and the twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion, and the second was like an ox. The third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered with were covered all over with highs, inside and how. Day and night, day after day, and night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, who always was, 
who is and who is still to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Now we have an idea what we'll be doing in heaven. And the truth is, regardless of how your voice is, maybe it's like mine, we are all going to sing, holy, holy, holy. The Lord Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Who always was, who is, and who is still to come. That shows consistency. That's God. The Bible says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, is forever living. God is holy. First Peter, from verse chapter 1, from verse 13 to 16, says, So prepare your minds. For action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. Leviticus 20 verse 26, you must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all other people to be my very own. You must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. It's a common instruction in the book of Leviticus. You must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. God is holy. And as human, we are sinful in nature. How do we reconcile this? And what does holiness mean? It means is untainted by evil or sin, is sacred, is pure, and perfect. Here we have sinful, sinners. And God is giving us, is making a request that you must be holy because I am holy. That sounds like a tall order. That sounds like something that is almost impossible. How do we do it? This is an instruction that was given to the Israelites. If you all will agree with me. But the blood of Jesus Christ brought us in. And that's the confidence we have to even talk like this. You must be holy because... I am holy. It's not only the Israelites now. Even you, me, must be holy because I am holy. Now, the Bible shows us many illustrations about humans' encounter with God that can be both awesome, frightening, 
especially when it's divine laws or instruction are either ignorantly or deliberately disobeyed. God is not a joker. <laughs> One of my own life experience that, I, that gives me more insight about God's holiness is between, is between me and my father. <laughs> I have a very strict father. I am from a very strict Christian home. And um, my father is very disciplined. He doesn't even let my rascality, he doesn't even let it slide, you know. And the way he deals with me is this. He's going to call me when it's time for judgment. <laughs> and um, he's going to tell me to open into some books in the Bible. Go to Pro Proverbs is always one of the common books. And that's why when I was growing, I don't really like Proverbs because every time I read Proverbs, <laughs> something comes up with it that I don't like. So, it's going to make me read Proverbs. And after that, I'm going to say, okay, now lie down. <laughs> and he's going to give it to me, you know. And um, he's human. He's not even holy compared to God. But he has a standard that he will not allow me to take for granted. And every time I did, there's always a punishment. If we human can have that kind of character. Now, let's think about God. So, let's see examples of people who try to take God for granted at some point and how God dealt with them. Leviticus chapter 10 from verse 1 to 3. Aaron had four sons, and Aaron was chosen by God to be the lead priest. And his sons helped in that duty as well. Two of his first, the first two, Nadab, Habihu, the last two is um, Eliezer and Ethamah, yeah? So the first two did something one day. Let's read. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Habil, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord. It's always disobedience. The law is there. It's always disobedience. By burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So, fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died before, and they died there before the Lord. How many people remember the story of King Uzziah as well? That looks similar, right? Then, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display 
my glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. Brethren, when I read that, that silence was so loud that I can even still hear it now. Losing two sons, two sons at the same time. You will have thought, okay, they should have learned from there. Silent Aaron did made another mistake. But this time around, God warned him. The Lord spoke to Moses, and that's Leviticus 16, verse 1 to 2. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons, who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. The Lord said to Moses, Warn your brother, Aaron, not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. If he does, he will die. For the hacks cover the place of atonement is there. And I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. Warn your brother. We have John 3, verse 16. I always make reference to that. We have it on our board in front of the church over there. If you want to take a picture with it, feel free. And what it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have Everlasting life. Every time I think about that verse, it sounds like a warning to me as well. Why? Because the consequence of not choosing life is in that, is in that statement, perish. And this is exactly, it's similar to what God is telling Aaron here. And if we think more about that, we will appreciate what Jesus Christ said to his disciples when they asked him, how shall we get there? And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one come to the Father except through me. That's John chapter 14, verse 6. No one, no unholy one come to the Father except through me. So where does our holiness lies? How can we even meet up with this standard? The book of Leviticus revealed a lot to us, if you want to take time to read it, about Aaronic's priesthood, the animals involved that were sacrificed, and the rituals which were performed. And um, all of these become a type of Jesus Christ's priesthood, his performance, his sacrifice, and his innocence. Trust me, his innocence is so significant 
if you read the book of Leviticus, God always tells them, goat without defect, lamb without defect. Jesus Christ became that lamb without sin. He became our own sin, my own sin, your sin. We heard that this morning when Brother John Wells was talking, and I was like, God always have a way of giving us a snippet of what to come in the following service. And God stepped in and said, okay, Aaron, this is the instruction you must follow if you want to come to my presence. And you will find that in Leviticus chapter 16, Throughout that chapter, it was all about how to go about it. So I broke it down. So the first one is um, from verse 1 to 6, 11 to 14. It's all about preparation and forgiveness of the priest. Even the priest, which happens to be Aaron, have to prepare himself, ask for forgiveness. It doesn't have what it takes to just walk in. That was what I guess he was trying to do before God warned him. Like, okay, you are the priest. doesn't mean you should walk into my presence anyhow. From verse 7 to 10, 15 to 19, shows what to do about forgiving the congregation. From verse 7 to 10 and 20 to 22, sending away congregational sin through a scapegoat. You know, they all place their hand on the scapegoats, confess their sin on the goal, and send the goat into the wilderness. And um, after that, there is a post-ceremonial purification of the priest, what the priest have to do when all this has been done. And what they need to do to make this an ongoing thing, a continuous thing. Atonement, the topic from, for that verse is um, steps for atonement. And um, what does atonement mean? <laughs> like I said, I grew up in a Christian home, and you will want to believe with me that there are times you just get used, get familiar with some words that you don't even bother to know the deep meaning, you know. You're just wrong with it, just like that, you know. One of those words for me is atonement. We have it in songs, you know, atonement for sins. Atonement is the process by which people remove obstacles to their reconciliation with God. Anytime atonement is talked about, there's something about sacrifice, which is for ritual cleanness of sins to, you know, to, 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 to initiate or to bring moral purity and religious acceptability, atonement for sin. That's what Jesus Christ became for us. But the step given here only did little. Ain't we surprised? <laughs> it says, 
the ceremonial must always take place on the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month. That's in verse 29. And this is going to be a permanent law for you to purify the people of Israel from their sins, making them right with the Lord once in each year. So the struggle continues. Between a sinful man and a holy God. And the standard is so high. I am holy. I want you to be holy. So because sin is repeated in the society, the ritual of forgiveness becomes an endless statue. Like, okay, we just have to start killing all these goats. You know, we just have to do what Lord commanded of us. And it becomes a human effort because you have to fulfill it. So the book of Hebrew gives us a clue about how that didn't work perfectly for us. And we will see that in chapter 10 from verse 1 to 4. The whole system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. Not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. And they were never able to provide perfect cleansing. For those who came to worship, if they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshippers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it's impossible, it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So every year they do that, it reminded them of their status, sinners. The book of Romans Chapter 3, from verses 5 to 8, you know, it gives us an insight about human mind, especially people that have knowledge of God, that are very knowledgeable, that are, you know, very smart. Claim of moral uprightness. <laughs> Versus unwavering holiness of God. You know, it's a standard. I love how Paul brought this out because I can see myself in it. Sometimes you just understand some things and you're like, okay, I think I should be able to speak for myself in this. There are three. (laughs) 
three of them here. The first one, he says, but some might say our sinfulness serves a good purpose for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us since it's our sinful nature that makes him look righteous? You can imagine how your mind thinks. <laughs> of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? He didn't stop there. He says, some might even say again, like, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? Can you see the twist again? Smart people. <laughs> and some people even slander us by claiming that we say the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. But I love how Paul answered them. I found my answer in that as well. I can only talk about this because I can find myself in it. I can relate with it. It says, from, chapter, from verse 19 of the same chapter to 20, it says, Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the end entire world is guilty before God. So holiness brings, holiness of God brings our sinful nature, it brings it how. And the Bible says, for all have sinned, all, everyone, everyone. Think of any person you think is so holy up there. <laughs> he used to be in that group. <laughs> For all are sinned and come short of the glory of the kingdom of God. So, what was the purpose of the law? It shows how sinful we are. It exposes it. How sinful we are. So our reaction to that depends on how we see the law. Do you see the law as something you want to, you know, engage with your moral capabilities? Or do you see it as something that should humble you before God and ask for help? <laughs> when I was reading, this is a very deep study and this is just a few thoughts of mine that's not going to last beyond 45 minutes. But when I was studying some of these, I discovered that God gave the Israelites more than 600 laws. I mean, sometimes I even forget to keep up with my Tylenol dosage. So I can't even stand any chance. There are some, if you are bowed like me, there are some laws in the book of Deuteronomy that, you know, you have to do something, you know, bald head like me, like, you know. 
<laughs> so, in Romans chapter 7, verse 14 to, 14 to 24, Paul revealed his inner mind concerning this struggle. <laughs> when I was reading this place, <laughs> you know all that yearly thing we all do? I believe we all do it. This year, I want to serve God. This year, I want to worship in a department. I want to do this. I will be the first to come to the communion. I will. And this is the third. We are approaching the third month of the year. And you, can, you know that you've, all, you've already broken like 50% of <laughs> those things. And it's not that you've, just, you've only broken. You know that. I don't think I can fulfill this. God, you have to help me. So this is Paul's state here. He said, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human and powerless, and I'm a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, or I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does that. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, nothing good comes out of it. And that's, for me, that's the utmost sense of humility. Acknowledging that you need help. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but it's just me. I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, and I'm not really the one doing wrong, it is sin living in me that does that. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And... There is an answer to that from verse 7 again to from chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, verse 24 to 25. It says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? In, 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 I think in the book of the Corinthians, it says, the law gives power to sin. And it gives, and <laughs> sin gives power to death. So, Paul is explaining the life he's living that is dominated by sin and death. What an awful life. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. The confidence we have today, the hope 
that became a gift to us. Is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So, you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So, <laughs> the holiness of God and the sinful nature of man. If you have been consistent with the messages from Northbrook Bible Chapel, I'm very sure. <laughs> You will have listened to Brother John Wells talking about sin. You know what? Anytime I want to read, I just have to make this confession now. Anytime I'm reading Romans chapter 5, I just can't read it in my own voice. <laughs> it's always this voice of Brother John Wells. And one of his verse, his favorite one is this verse 12. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. One man sinned, and the consequence of, his, of what he did spread to everyone by default. So what is sin? 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. For all sin... All sin, regardless of how you want to see it, is contrary to the law of God. So I picked a line from one of Brother McDonald's slides when he talked about sin. We have the series on SoundCloud if you are interested in it. Any lack of conformity to the character of God, whether in act or state, Sin. First John, verse 1 to 8, say, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living the truth. And verse 10 says, If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar. Really? That, is that deep? Your moral uprightness is actually calling God a liar. Who dare call God a liar? And showing that his word has no place in our heart. So, every time we talk about sin, blood is not always far from that discussion. In Leviticus chapter 17, God gave Moses the instruction to follow when it comes to them presenting blood on the altar. And um, it's a lengthy one, quite long. And um, verse 11 says, For the life of the body is, its, is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you. That is, the blood of goats, lamb, bull, whichever you are coming with, must be on the altar. And... The essence is to make you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Hebrew 9 verse 22 says, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, 
there is no forgiveness. For I am holy. And I want you to be holy. How do we achieve this? Now, time is fast running against me. So, all glory to God for his son, Jesus Christ. What makes this perfect? I would like the sacrifice. What makes it perfect? Is the love of God for us. Spoken about John 3, verse 16. First John chapter 4, verse 9 to 10 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but the love, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Romans 18 verse 32 says, Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Since he did not spare his own son. And um, with the love of God, we can see that Christ became, Jesus Christ became the same. You can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He became the lamb. John chapter 1, verse 29. Look, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he became the priest, Hebrew 5. All this emphasizes the extent of God's love and the lens to which he went to reconcile humanity back to himself. We were once lost. It took him that step to bring us back. All glory belongs to God for his unwavering and incomparable love for us, as demonstrated through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what makes this perfect? This, what makes Jesus Christ our perfect sacrifice? <sighs> Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 to 25. It says, there were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in the office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Jesus Christ, our perfect sacrifice. Verse chapter 9, Hebrew chapter 9, verse 11 to 14 says, So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and cows, he entered the most holy place once, for all time and secured our redemption forever. He secured our redemption forever. One of my favorite hymns is In Christ Alone, and one of my favorite lines in that song is No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me out of his hand. He secured our redemption forever. 
14. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consequences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For, the, for by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as perfect sacrifice to our sins. Hebrew, I, it's all about the book of Hebrew, if, if you have been paying attention. <laughs> Hebrew chapter 10, verse 8 to 12. says, it's amazing that Brother John Well read that passage this morning. And he said, I'm going to start from verse 10. For God's will was for us to be made holy. If we can pause there for a while. I am holy, and for I am holy, and I want you to be holy. For God's will was for us to be made holy. Now we have the answer to it. By the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all time. So God gave that order, and he himself came, to make it possible for us. And that's why Ephesians says, let no man boast. You don't have what it takes to boast. It's a gift. I love this verse 19. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heavens, the most holy place of the blood of Jesus Christ. Those Aaron's two sons, they couldn't survive the one on earth. But Jesus Christ, with his death, his blood, went to the one in heaven and gave us a thorough passage. Like, okay, now you can walk this way. Boldly enter heaven. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the coffin into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. So, someone might still have that mind like, okay, how did we now come in in all this? Because most of all these instructions are for the Israelites. I love how, God, how this was written in Ephesians. You know, God had me in mind before he put this down in letters. And he says, from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 18. How many of us have heard about Gentiles for a while and you just, you know, you roll with that word and you don't even know the meaning. Like, you hear Jews and Gentiles. I used to be. Gentiles, Gentiles, Gentiles. I, I have little idea of what it means. I have a faint idea of it, but not that deep. So, for if you have been like me, I put it up there like 
Gentile is a modern English term that is used to translate God. Hebrew word for nation. That is, a non-Jewish person or nation. If you are not a Jewish origin, that includes you. I'm not one, that includes me. And how does that bring me into God's promise? Let's see. So, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Wow. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own, when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that, appeared, that separated us, regardless of what the news is telling us. Christ has broken down the wall of hostility. And he didn't do it by just, you know, like abracadabra magic, you know. <laughs> it cost him something. He made peace between... Okay, so he did this by ending the system of law with his commandment and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups, together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now, all of us, both the Jews and the Gentiles, can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Father can come to the Father, can come to the source again through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ, our perfect sacrifice. In conclusion, <sighs> redeem, redeem. That's another word that, you know, it's even the name of a church in Nigeria. Like, I'm so used to that word, and um, I've never taken the time to just, what does it even mean, like, you know? To buy back, to regain possession, to repurchase. So, with his own blood, Hebrews 7, verse 12, not the blood of goats and cows, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. If you want to know how valuable a product is, you have to check how much is paid for, for it. It cost God his son. He came down in human form. What was being done to goats and bulls was done to him. 
and he took it in, you know. He didn't fight it just for you and I. Jesus Christ died to prove how valuable we are to God. And his resurrection was the evidence that sin was destroyed. My question this morning is, don't waste it. It's not a question. It's just an advice from this. From me, just simple one. Don't waste this. When Christ said it is finished, it meant it. It is finished. Sin is destroyed. Let us pray. Everlasting Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for how you have spoken to us. We pray you help us to make this make meaning to us. We pray that you retain it in our mind and help us to understand you more. We pray as we go out, as we step out of this place, you guide our thoughts, you guide our hearts, and you help us to remain in your presence forever. All this we've prayed for in Jesus' name. Amen.